Although I will say, in regards to this particular topic, you want to still educate yourself. So mm -hmm. don't don't count on your CPA right. to stop you from doing something stupid with your self-directed retirement account. So you, you need to either always ask that person the question about it, or at least understand some of the basic rules. And then if you have something that's kind of out there or something that's maybe not typical or not standard, then you can kind of go with that consultation and kind of make sure you're not getting something that's not You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Azria Show. This is Marcus Maloney, your host, and I have Mike Del Preda, our executive director. Good afternoon. And today we're going to be talking about all things kind of accounting, self-directed IRAs. We have CPA uh, Ignatius Jackson in studio today. So how are you doing today? Ignatius? I'm doing great. Happy to be here with you guys. And you got my name right on the first try. That's Look awesome. That. Most we, people take a little while. <laughs> there we go. There we go, man. I was feeling it from the soul. All right. So um, just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, man, how long you've been doing what you do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm a certified public accountant, or CPA for short, um, based in here in Arizona. I've been here my whole life, so a long time. And um, I do stuff for business owners, real estate investors, uh, cryptocurrency people, all that kind of stuff. So we handle a lot of the more intricate components of taxes, accounting, uh, all that kind of stuff for what you might need for your taxes or accounting needs for your business or whatever else you might have going on. Um, very active in, in doing a lot of stuff in the community. Um, season ticket holder for the Arizona State University Sun Devils. I'm a grad from there. Okay. And uh, I really love everything, kind of all Arizona. So, yeah. All, all right. about it. Don't forget the Suns. You're a yes, single order for the Suns as well, and they just got a lot more valuable. Yeah, uh, yeah. recent trades. So yeah, it's all pretty exciting. They're probably going down for a little bit over the last few months. <sighs> Man, it was awful. <laughs> it was actually much needed because my ticket sales were pretty bad. <laughs> so, so good. We got Katie. So yeah, hopefully we ride this all the way to. Hoisting up a Lombardi, not Lombardi. <laughs> Wrong but, uh, What is it? It's the. Uh, don't even know. I don't know the name of the NBA Finals trophy, to be honest. I, God, I, I used know. to know it. Yeah. But it's, it's the, the Finals trophy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you we need go. one of those. One right, of those. right. So, one of the questions that I always hear and people always say is I need a good accountant. What makes you a good accountant? What makes me a good accountant? Yeah. Uh, well, for me, I like to make sure that I'm doing what I can to save people money on their taxes. So there's some CPAs or accountants out there that all they do is basically turn over returns. They're more about mm -hmm. quantity, not necessarily quality. Mm -hmm. And so you'll often see that there's, and that's one of the reasons why my firm has grown so much is because we do take our time to actually listen to people's problems, um, identify solutions to help them save money on taxes. And so we come up with a lot of different strategies. There's a lot of different things you can do, and we try to keep knowledgeable about 
most of the stuff that are more common for everybody to utilize. And it's just basic stuff sometimes that people are not taking advantage of. You know, like paying your kids, for example, or mm-hmm. using a self-directed retirement account, or um, real estate agents not marking the boxes of real estate professional when they have rental properties. There's stuff like that that is just kind of basic mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. you know people often are missing. So that's one of the distinctions between what we do at my firm versus what you'll probably see at some other places out there, okay. uh, where they might the cost might be a little bit cheaper, but you're going to ultimately pay more in taxes sometimes right. because they're missing stuff that you could be doing to save yourself money. So, so, so what about those investors? Not me. That wait till like December and they're like, oh, <laughs> I got I gotta uh, do all this cool stuff with with you, man. So so. Yeah, it's, it's definitely more advantageous to work with somebody throughout the year okay. um, because oftentimes if you come to us during tax season, one, we don't have time to really mm-hmm. deal with it, and then two, there's a lot of things that we can't do after the year has already ended. And so really the best time to talk to someone about doing some strategies is going to be that uh, Octo- late October, okay. early November time frame because it still gives you some time to put some stuff into motion before the end of the year and take advantage of some strategies. But really you should be having a conversation with your accountant, I would say at least quarterly usually, okay. uh, kind of throughout the year at a bare minimum, um, you know, twice a year, like middle of the year and then towards the end of the year. Um, so not just talking to them during tax season time. And okay. It, and is there like a, with you, like obviously you'd probably do some type of consultation, but but even before that I've learned over time is it's more of a wealth building strategy, mm-hmm. right? Is there like, can you kind of talk about like someone's, you know, be, becoming an investor or they haven't done it yet and they're experienced, like what's a wealth building strategy all about? Yeah. So wealth building can take multiple different forms, right? Yeah. It has multiple different definitions, but to me, ultimately what the goal is is to just start somewhere. So mm-hmm. if you start investing yourself, I like to use this phrase called hashtag pay yourself first. I use it all over Twitter and everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very important phrase to me because you gotta pay yourself first. So, so if you just start out with like a retirement account of some sort, whether it's a Roth IRA, 401k, something like that, and just kind of start that process, that's one of the best ways to save for your future and also to build wealth because it's very friendly when you pass away in terms of transferring to your kids or to your spouse or whoever you might want to transfer some of that wealth to. And so it's just a great way to save in a tax advantage and sometimes tax-free manner, um, depending on what type of account you utilize. So that's, that's one of the tools. Another tool would be real estate. I mean, which is obviously what you guys do here, Real Estate Investor Association. It's a super powerful tool. So, you know, where people often make a mistake in real estate to me is they are selling their properties mm-hmm. instead of holding on to them yeah. and passing them on from generation to generation. Because real estate is a very, just feel from a tax savings perspective, both while you're holding it and also while um, at some point in the future when you pass away and you're passing it on. So, um, you know, wealth building can take many forms. And so you just got to figure out what makes sense for you. You know, not everyone's going to want to do a rental property, but maybe you want to invest in a fund that does Mm -hmm. rental properties. Um, Not everyone's going to want to invest in the stock market, but maybe you want to you know, invest in some sort of partnership with somebody else that does some stuff. So you just have to kind of figure out where you want to fit into your wealth building strategy. But at the end of the day, you've got to at least start somewhere. You got to start saving and start investing. Otherwise, you're not going to get 
to that level of wealth that you know people often are striving for and you can help bring that out of someone because sometimes you just don't know what you don't know right correct yeah yeah so a lot of people are often afraid at the end Mm -hmm. of the day uh, when it comes to investing so for example people don't know the stock market very well so they don't necessarily want to put stuff into stocks Mm -hmm. Uh, you really don't need to know the stock market very well you just need to invest in a couple safe options get yourself some stuff going and once you have enough buy a rental property or invest in a partnership with someone who wants to run their own property or something you know there there's multiple ways that you can get it done and so yeah just educate them on what you can and can't do i have a great youtube channel that goes through some of that stuff um out there and so there's just a lot of different ways you can get into it okay great so um we're talking about saving money investing things like that so what would you tell that person that is getting started, getting into real estate, and they're like, hey, you know what, I want to flip properties and then use the money that I make from flipping properties to buy rentals. How should they structure that? I know I'm just kind of throwing out something. No, it's a great way uh, to to get it done. So, um, you know, if you were into that space, you want to do some flipping. So important to note that flipping is considered a non-passive Mm-hmm. income, meaning you're going to have to pay some self-employment taxes on it. And depending on your profitability for that flipping operation, you're going to want to have yourself set up as an S corporation nine times out of 10. And so you want to make sure you're working with an accountant of some sort that understands some of those tips and strategies, because that's ultimately going to be how you're going to save yourself money to where you can then take those savings that you're saving from doing the flipping and transfer that into doing some rental properties. And so the nice thing about if your main business is flipping and you're also doing rentals, now you can also qualify as a real estate professional from Mm -hmm. a tax standpoint. And when you're a real estate professional, now you get to take advantage of taking those losses on those rental properties and also offsetting your income from the flipping business. And now you can get to the point where, hey, you might be in a Donald Trump situation where you don't have any taxes that you owe for a particular year Mm -hmm. because now you're taking some of those losses and offsetting some of your other income that you have. So, okay. So, so a couple yeah. things there. So when we're saying, like Marcus said, from flip to rental, mm-hmm. so there's going to have to be, um, would you do like a 1031 or do this through your self-directed IRA? Is there some tools where you can kind of bypass or defer taxes? So when it comes to flips, uh, 10th exchange doesn't work. So a 10th exchange is going to be for investment properties, mm-hmm. meaning you previously had it as an investment property, you were holding it for that purpose, you rented it out, and then you decided to sell it at some point in the future. Typically, it's going to be a long-term uh, property that you've, you're doing this with as well, so you've held it, it for more than a year. And so the 10th probably doesn't work in that situation. Um, as far as some other things you could do, so when, you, when you're doing flipping, you're typically holding it for three to six months, mm-hmm. um, you're buying it, improving it, and then selling it, right? And so that's a short-term capital gain, essentially, mm-hmm. is what it ultimately becomes um, for your first couple. Now, once you get into it more frequently, it really becomes more of a business. And when it's a business where you're doing this consistently, now you're talking about some non-passive income where you're going to have to pay self-employment taxes. So y- you really want to take advantage of stuff like auto deductions uh, or mileage versus actual. You want to take advantage of doing some meals. You want to take advantage of some travel um, right off your cell phone. There's a lot of things you can actually mm-hmm. write off inside that business mm-hmm. to help reduce your income. 
and then whatever's kind of left over, you could then transfer that over into doing some sort of rental investing, okay? But yeah, the 10th of exchange doesn't really work in, for flips okay. in that scenario. Got it. So I'm gonna ask a very selfish question, sure. and you can probably help with this. So normally, um, most investors are always mm -hmm. told by their CPAs to write off as much as you possibly can, mm -hmm. right? Because you wanna show as little income as possible so you don't have to pay taxes on that. But yet, when you go to qualify for another home purchase or something like that, your income looks extremely low. Mm -hmm. How can we offset that? How should that investor pay him or herself through that yep. LLC? Or This is a very common issue, unfortunately, yep. uh, when you're self-employed or if you're a real estate investor and that's all that you do. Um, you know, when you're, if you're trying to do more conventional loans, um, so through like a bank, uh, where they have very strict criteria, they want you to always have income to support the loan, even if that property has enough income to support it on its own. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you're going to have to really get it more into the DSCR loans, where you're going to, basically the loan is going to qualify pretty much solely based off the income of the property, not necessarily the owner of the property. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, the downside to those loans is they do tend to have higher interest rates. Um, however, it's as long as the property is cash flowing and is meeting your financial objectives, I wouldn't be too concerned about that because I'd rather pay a little bit higher of an interest rate on that rental property as long as it's paying for itself, essentially, than having to pay the government more money in taxes. Mm -hmm. It's just my philosophy. Um, now, the other way you can get around it is maybe there's some years where you're not as aggressive. You know, and you don't do that retirement uh, right. contribution. You don't write off, you know, your cell phone and some of those other personal expenses that you're turning into legitimate business expenses, right? And so maybe you take a break for some of that, and you're only writing off your direct business expenses that are, you know, uh, directly associated with that. So uh, there's really no other way you can kind of get around that. Unfortunately, it's one of those things where you can't have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, is yeah. what I kind of say. Um, and so if you're really trying to, you know, qualify for a loan, you have to kind of plan for that in a lot of cases okay. um, because they're usually going to want two years of, you know, self-employment income showing that you have a certain level in order to qualify for a more conventional loan. Okay. Because I try and have my cake, eat it too, <laughs> and add ice cream and everything else with it. Um. Sure. Well, I have a, I uh, I have a selfish you. question, too. <laughs> Around tax t time, we like to interview CPAs. Yeah. yeah. So we get our questions. Free consultations. <laughs> I hear you. It's all good. It's all good. No. Um, so, so, you know, I, I would like to be like you one day and have season tickets to the Phoenix Sun. So yeah. how, how do we incorporate that in, into the business? Oh, great, great question, actually. So I actually did a YouTube video on this okay. as well. Because I, I was, uh, uh, a lot of people were asking me kind of that question. So here's ultimately what it comes down to. So, and this is exactly my strategy. Mm -hmm. um, and I even tell my son's rep, this is what I'm doing. Um, so what I do is I essentially am going to about half the games. And I mm -hmm. take my clients with me to those games that I go to. Those tickets, the value of those tickets. Now, each if you if you don't if you've never had season tickets, you would know that um, each game has a separate value. So some games are actually higher and some mm -hmm. games are lower. 
And so I pick all the lower end games, and those are the games that I'm going to. And mm-hmm. those values, those tickets, unfortunately, are not going to be deductible in the business because it's considered entertainment. And under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, that was one of the things that they had to nix in order to get that thing passed. Basketball tickets. Um, was entertainment. It's not right. <laughs> so it used to be 50% deductible, but now it's all zero for okay. uh, the next few years. But that's if so, you go by yourself, right? Nope. Even if you take clients with you, unfortunately. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So entertainment, it, the ticket itself is not going to be deductible. Now, meals, uh, beer, alcohol, while you're doing the entertainment is still deductible. It's still deductible at 50%, but it is an actual deductible expense still. Ah. Okay. So now for the tickets that I'm selling, that becomes a cost good sold. So for those items, it's not entertainment, it's a cost good sold. And if that's the case, you get a deduction for the value of those tickets that you're actually okay. selling. Um, and so the way it works out with, with what I got going on, I'm basically making enough from the sales of half the tickets to pay for the whole season. Whole season. So even though I'm not getting a deduction for it, I'm essentially um, not having to really come out of pocket for using those tickets. Okay. So. Cool. So you have to buy the, buy the tickets out of your business. You buy out of your business account. Yep. Got yep. it. And then you sell. You go to half. You sell half. Mm-hmm. Deduct half. Deduct half of the tickets. And yep. you uh, Write off the food and beer, whatever you yep. might spend with the client. Right. Got it. Exactly. Your, your wheels exactly. are turning, huh? Yeah. So so, yeah. <laughs> so 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 what you got? You recouped your money from the sales. Yeah. But what I about the, like, money from the, sales, the deductions? Yeah. How much does that really help overall? Probably so much, or, it depends so, on how much beer you drink. Right? <laughs> yeah. You will you will have a profit from the sales of the tickets that you will ultimately have to pay some taxes on. Cool. But the way that the math works out, um, you're not really out anything as long as you get enough value on those sales of those tickets to make the additional uh, profit and tax you're paying kind of offset. So. I've essentially taken something that was going to be a cost, essentially, that I wouldn't have been, gotten anything from and turned it into something where I'm not essentially not paying for it at all. Got it. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty sweet. What's your YouTube page, so, just so we know? Um, so it's they did this new thing. They rolled out this new thing where it's an at symbol now. So it's just at Ignatius CPA. Cool. Is okay. the short name to find it. Sweet. All right. It's always good to have someone in the room that's smarter than you. Right, Mike? Oh, yeah. You know, especially yeah. when it comes to taxes and everything like that. So yeah. we're going to take our time to make sure we get all of our audience's questions answered. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So. Let's, let's <laughs> so, were you going somewhere with that? No, no, oh, no. Okay, guys. Go ahead. So yeah, let's let's jump into uh, self-directed IRAs. Let's let's talk about okay. that for a second. For, for the record, I'm sure there's plenty of topics you guys are smarter than me at. So I just happen <laughs> to be smarter at this topic. Um, but yeah, okay. So self-directed IRAs, as you can see from my shirt, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you guys see that or not, but there's yep. Um So I'm a huge proponent on this, and the reason being is most people when they do retirement accounts, all they think about is the stock market. And frankly, I think that's why so many people are not in, don't put money into retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. They either stuff it under their bed or leave it in a bank account or um, have some sort of other investment strategy that they go after. And so, but if you amplify retirement accounts by doing, not only putting it into the retirement account, put it into that tax advantage manner, whether it's tax deferred or tax free growth, right? 
Um, and then you amplify that by doing something that has high returns, like real estate investing. Um, uh, let's see, cryptocurrency, typically you can find some good returns there. Um, businesses, uh, investing in private companies, that kind of stuff, right? Um, then you really amplify that account to where it becomes more fruitful and people might actually be more interested in putting money into retirement funds. And so that's one of the things that we talk about when we do self-directed retirement accounts is we're really trying to get people to think about diversifying what they're investing in and doing some stuff besides just leaving in an ETF or a mutual fund, which is invested in hundreds or thousands right. of stocks that people don't really know what it is mm -hmm. they're even investing in in some cases. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that's the importance of what a self-directed retirement account is. And you could do this for... IRAs, you can do it for 401ks, you can do it for health savings accounts, you can do it for Coverdale um, IRAs or education savings accounts, which is for like saving for your kids' college. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different vehicles where you can actually do a self-directed account and invest in something other than the stock market. Got it, such mm -hmm. as real estate, mm -hmm. businesses, yep. is there anything else? Can you do like metals, Precious metals. Yep. That's yes. one. Okay. You just can't store the metals at your house. Oh, There's a okay. huge court case that came out last year that nixed that. Wow. Even though most people knew that you weren't supposed to be doing that, there's some people that were being super aggressive. And I always say, you know, be aggressive, but don't be stupid aggressive. <laughs> so, yeah. okay. you know, don't don't get yourself to the point where you're potentially bordering illegal activity, right? Gotcha. Yeah. Because that's where we're usually going to get yourself into trouble. Um, but if you're smart about it and you're just aggressive, you know, um, in terms of taking advantage of everything that you can, then that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's called tax planning. And then there's, yeah. um, speaking of trouble, there's some, some rules to self-directed yep. IRAs. Can you briefly go on some of those? Very good point. There are definitely a lot of great rules that you have to follow. Um, they, one could say they're great or not, but you know, there, there's you have to avoid doing prohibited transactions. What we're talking about there is you can't invest or do stuff that's going to benefit you personally, right? So it has to be something that's going to be some sort sort of third party investment. Um, some sort of vehicle that is not going to enrich you personally other than having your account grow from that investment, right? So let's say, for example, you bought a house and you're going to rent it out. You can't live in that house. You can't go stay in the house for like yeah. a vacation. Mm -hmm. Your kids can't go stay in the house. Your spouse can't. Your grandparents can't. So there's certain people that have to basically stay away from whatever you're investing in, can't really use it to their benefit or to your benefit. That's one of the biggest ways that people often get themselves into trouble when it comes to self-directed retirement accounts is they're trying to, again, have their cake and eat it too. That's yeah. <laughs> another, another phrase that I'll kind of use there too. And so what you, you just want to stay away from that. Some other things you can't do, um, you cannot invest in collectibles. So like pieces of art or wine collections or whatever you want to call it, right? You can't do any of that stuff. Um, you also can't. Uh, own S corporation uh, inside the retirement account. It's just not a, a, an actual legal member of an S corporation. And there, there's certain, if you have precious metals, you have to make sure they're stored in like a, a safe or a safe deposit box or something like that that's outside of your house. So some other, some other custodian is kind of holding on to it. Cryptocurrency, for example, kind of similar stuff. Like you, you want to use like an exchange or some sort of third party to mm -hmm. kind of hold the investments for you instead of, 
you know, having a, I mean, technically you could probably have a wallet or a key that you keep um, at your house, but it gets a little fuzzy. So to be safe, what I would say is probably throw that into a safe deposit box or some third party storage medium as well. So there's just, there's definitely a few rules that you have to kind of be a little careful with, but if you comply with those rules, um, it's very advantageous. And so what I recommend there is there's a great book by uh, a wonderful guy, Matt Sorensen, mm -hmm. um, called, Jeez, uh, self-directed IRA handbook. The self-directed IRA handbook. Yeah. I was, I thought that's what it was. I was trying to remember off the top. I was of trying head. to let you say it, man. So, yeah, <laughs> self-directed IRA handbook. Um, and so, I would definitely go out there and, and get that and read that. He's considered one of the mm -hmm. all, all-time greatest uh, minds in this space. Has been doing it for years. So, I would definitely recommend buying that book if you want to really learn all the rules because there's really so many there's too many to really dive, dive into fully on this 30 yeah. minute podcast so well that's the reason why you always have to have a good cpa yeah exactly we'll let you guys yep. listen and learn yep. all of the rules and we just follow yeah. your lead yeah yeah I, although i will say in regards to this particular topic you want to still educate yourself so don't mm -hmm. don't count on your cpa right to stop you from doing something stupid with your self-directed retirement account. So you, you need to either always ask that person the question about it, or at least understand some of the basic rules. And then if you have something that's kind of out there or something that's maybe not typical or not standard, then you can kind of go get that consultation and kind of make sure you're not getting yourself into some hot water. Okay. Got uh, it. But yeah, don't, <clears throat> I mean, we're not gonna, we're not there every time you write a check, right? We're not there every time you sign a document. So if you want to kind of really protect yourself, I would definitely recommend educating yourself a little bit on it. Okay. Perfect. So one of the misconceptions that a lot of people have is, or one of the questions that always arises, when should I get a CPA? Because some people that just work a, you know, just W-2, they figure, well, I don't need a CPA. I just have H&R Block to do my taxes. But mm -hmm. So when should a person, you know, inquire upon having a CPA as a member of their team? Great question. I have this conversation all the time with people because um, we receive a lot of calls from people wanting us to help them out. And it, to me, my personal opinion, if all you have is a W-2, maybe you have a little mortgage interest or something from your house, you really don't need anybody to do your taxes. In fact, you're probably wasting money having people do your taxes. Um, doing like a TurboTax or a Tax Act or Tax Slayer or one of those guys, I think is going to be more than sufficient for... I'd say like 80% of the population here in the US. Now the other 20%, we're doing crazy stuff. So we got cryptocurrency, we got businesses, we got self-directed retirement mm -hmm. accounts, uh, we got rental properties. So you know, if you're doing that kind of stuff, that's where it makes sense to have a CPA or some other knowledgeable accountant. There's a lot of people besides CPAs that are very knowledgeable about taxes, like enrolled agents. I'm going to give those guys a shout out because there's a lot of great enrolled agents out there. Mm -hmm. And so you just want to make sure you got someone that's really good and beneficial that knows what they're doing to help you out because the cost of doing that will outweigh, it should, the savings, excuse me, should yeah. outweigh the cost of spending that money at that point. When you just have a W-2, there's really nothing I could do for you. So you, you could be paying someone $500 to do your return, and you could have easily spent 50 bucks or 100 bucks on one of those self-filing -pro programs and saved yourself a few hundred bucks because there's really nothing that we can do if you're not doing anything. Right. right. I mean, 
if all you got is a W-2, unfortunately, the tax code is not set up to save W-2 employees money. Right. That's what I was told. Say, say that once again. It's not set up to save W-2 employees money okay. on taxes. You know, your taxes are your taxes when you're a W-2 employee. Um, you really have to have a business, rental properties, um, some sort of investments, stuff like that, before you can really do anything advantageous. Okay. Love it. So, um, well, let's do, the one thing I like about you, you are an investor yourself. Yep. As well as a CPA. So, I kind of want to just, you know, short term rental is always a hot topic. So, maybe we could talk about, I know you have some, you have a few yourself, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, here in Phoenix? Yep. I, I, they are here in Phoenix. All my short term rentals are here in Phoenix. Um, I have one long term rental that's in Kansas. Um, but yeah, most of my short term rentals are here in Phoenix. Cool. Kansas has been a theme today. Yeah, huh? we've been in a lot of Kansas talk. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And what part of Kansas? It was Kansas City. City, Kansas City. Kansas City? Yeah. yeah. That's that's where my long term rental that I have there is at. Although I have a client who's recently gotten really involved in Wichita, Kansas. Okay. So well, yeah. Well, let's be careful here, because I learned something this week. <laughs> What's that? Don't don't laugh. But uh, there's Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. Yep. Which I didn't know that's where the Chiefs played. Yeah. Sorry, uh-huh. football fans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just did a deal out there, and I was like, Kansas. Oh, we did a deal in Kansas. Sorry, it was the first time I ever did it. And he's like, no, Missouri. I was like, huh? It's yeah, like, I'm kind of thrown off. So, so, so you're in. We're on the Kansas side. Yeah. Okay, so it's on both sides. Yeah. yeah. Got it. See? So you got I Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas. Yeah. Got it, got it. See? And they butt so, right up against each other. They do. This they're crazy. They're literally, you cross a river, and you're in. A different state but it's still called kansas city for the city yeah Got it's it. pretty crazy so, so i was able to prove i'm not the smartest in the room <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh how now what's going on in the short-term rental world i know we did a lunch and learn a few weeks back but can you talk about the the exemption so kind of give us a little update on that yeah so a little short summary about that right definitely go check out that lunch and learn for the the full details but in essence what you can do if your average stay for the customer for each customer that stays in the short-term rental or airbnb is seven days or less right then that is considered a short-term rental underneath the tax code and which basically means it's non-passive okay as long as you're materially participating then it becomes non-passive. Let me just clarify that. So there's really two qualifications to, to get to that point. It's the average stay of the customer is seven days or less, and you're materially participating in that rental activity, which there's a, a laundry list of stuff that you can kind of factor in to whether determine if you're materially participating. But basically, if you meet those two criteria, then you can now consider it non-passive and write it off any losses against your ordinary income, meaning like your job from your W-2, from business income, from investment income, all that kind of stuff, you can kind of offset that now. And it's super beneficial, usually the first year or two, to try to meet that definition when you actually have losses from that short-term rental. Um, Usually after that, you're not usually gonna have losses in the short-term rental because there should be very profitable usually. So you probably won't see much benefit after that first year or two of doing it, but it's a great way to kind of get yourself some initial uh, losses to help offset your other income. Okay. Is that new? Yeah. Did that just recently come out or has it always been nope. a... It's been that way for years. It's just not something that people have really talked about or really dove into uh, too much. And so it's, it's something that, you know, even a lot of CPAs shy away from. Um, um, CPAs and other tax preparers because they don't really understand where it comes from mm-hmm. and why it's okay to utilize that that role. So think about it this way: it, it, hotels would be considered 
passive activities, right? If it wasn't for the fact that they had an average stay of customer use of seven days or less, typically, right? And there's even another category beyond that, where if you use 30 days or less and you're providing substantial services or activities, then that also is considered a short-term rental, um, in which case it's non-passive as well. But in that case, you're actually in a self-employment tax situation, Got which it. is where a lot of hotels fall. So the same rules that the hotels are using is what any business owner is able to use. So a lot of the rules that big corporations use are the same rules that you as the, the small guy, the small fish can mm -hmm. still use. You just have to understand and know how to use it. So love it. That's cool. so yeah, if you can't read the tax code yourself, hire someone that does. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We, yeah. And is willing to, you know, be aggressive with you, right? Cuz there's there's a lot of tax professionals out there, no fault to their own. I mean, everyone has to take their own risk and tolerance mm -hmm. and determine that for their business, right? There's some people who want to be uber conservative. And so if you're being uber conservative, you probably wouldn't try to do the short-term rental thing, right? Mm -hmm. yep. If you want to be a little more aggressive, take advantage of the short-term rental exception. There's nothing wrong with taking advantage of it. It's just that it requires a little effort and work to make it happen. So, Okay. That's huge. Yeah. So what about um, working with investors that have properties in multiple states, have income coming mm -hmm. in from multiple states? Because a lot of our... Yep. Um, members, you know, live here in Arizona, but they invest in Illinois, Cleveland, yep. um, Indiana. How do we make sure our CPA is doing everything right when it comes to that? Yeah, a very good question. And so a lot of that is you making sure that you're telling your CPA or accountant that's helping you out um, that you have that going on. So unfortunately we're not mind readers mm -hmm. <laughs> so and i often kind of come up to this issue where something happens they i got a client that receives a letter in the mail after we filed their return and they're like hey i got this letter from the irs or from the state they say that i owe them more money i look at it and i'm like well you didn't tell me that you had this going on i got one of those last year <laughs> so, <laughs> you know is is this factual is this some sort of fraud i mean we got to figure out what we're going to do with it and lo and behold once they find out what it is they're like oh yeah i, I forgot, to, I tell forgot to tell you that yeah so you know it's just one of those things where you have to you, you have to a great uh buddy of mine mark kohler he uses this all the time you got to be the captain of your own ship right you can't it just give stuff to someone and say here take care of this i mean you got to also be involved in it. You got to understand it. You got to yep. review your return and make sure that everything's on there that you would expect to be on there based on what happened during the year. Because you're the you're the one that's going to know best what happened in your life for that year. Mm -hmm. And so, if you know you have three rentals, look at that return and make sure three rentals are on the return because you could easily see that those are on there. If you know you had interest from several places look and make sure that you have interest from all those places. So there's just certain things where sometimes people, I think, take too far of a step back and are trusting a little bit too yeah. much. And so, and that's how stuff can get missed, right? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we make mistakes. I mean, I, I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. We all make mistakes, right? But in a lot of cases, it's just that the client didn't tell us that they had something going on. And so, or their reports they gave us were not yeah. complete. So there's some sort of issue like that that happens. And so we end up having to kind of fix it. So that kind of goes, reminds me of um, Steve Harvey's story. 
where he said he was just giving everything to his CPA yeah. and was letting him do it. And then he ended up getting a bill in the mail from yeah. the IRS for a million dollars. Yeah. And he was like, well, where did this come from? And his CPA just was never filing his taxes. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. So, again, make you have to sign your tax return before it's filed. Yeah. So if you're not signing anything that this thing was completed, that's a, that's a telltale sign right there. That means it wasn't done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, yep. you know, you, you got to make sure that you're, you know, receiving a copy of what's been filed every year. Um, because that would be your defense. If you mm-hmm. if you signed a form that said, hey, I agree with this, let's file it, and that CPA didn't file it, now it's on them because they didn't take the action that they were supposed to take. Okay, but if you don't have any of that documentation, mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do. You can't protect yourself. Right. So that's actually a great example where, um, and that happens to a lot of celebrities, unfortunately, yeah. you know, where they, they trust that their advisors and people are, are doing everything for them and unfortunately sometimes stuff can get missed if you don't take some responsibility in the process so absolutely cool man so um not only uh you gave us a lot of great information just we didn't mention you're a business associate here at isria now officially yes. yeah congrats so welcome, congrats. welcome. Yes. thanks so, so, happy uh, to be here so. if you see ignatius at the the meetings i know you come to the subgroups and everything your yep. information's on our website so welcome, and, and for everyone listening, how do we get a hold of you, man? Like, how do we keep in touch? How- yeah. So um, best way to reach us is going to be calling our firm office line, which is 480-542-0404. Um, so that, that would get you in contact with my admin. He'll do, like, an initial discovery call with you, um, and then we'll kind of let you know if it makes sense or not. Um, I will tell you can also go to our website, which is iljcpa.com. Currently, we're looking at actually replacing that with a different URL, but for now, that's what mm-hmm. it is. Um, and I will say that uh, we are pretty busy and pretty packed, and so you really have to kind of be the, that ideal type of client or for us to kind of take you on. But we do have a few um, referral partners that we can kind of send you over to if you're having trouble finding somebody who could probably help you out if you're not kind of that ideal client right now. Um, and really what we're looking for is someone who's a little more mature in their business. So not, you know, b- brand new, just starting out. I do offer consultations for those type of people where you could, uh, it's $300 for an hour consultation and we'll go through and we'll give you um, so just, just some basic information about, hey, this is some things you want to consider and think about as you're starting out. This is kind of some stuff that you can ask someone as you're kind of searching for someone to help you out with what you got going on, just to make sure that they're comfortable with what your plans are. And that's usually pretty helpful for a lot of people. Sounds um, like it, yeah. Kind of starting out. Okay. And that's really all that most people even need when they're first starting out. It's just kind of like a little conversation with someone to kind of get them on the right path financially um, in relation to their tax structure and picture. And so that's what I would probably say is for most people that are in that stage, that's all you really need. And then once you kind of get a little more mature uh, where you have a lot going on, you know, you're profiting some decent dollars to where we can actually do some strategies. Because in a lot of cases... We can't save you a ton unless you have extra money to kind of put towards stuff. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you got to be able to put money into accounts or to go and buy something or, or do something uh, like a vehicle or take a trip or you know stuff like that. So if you're barely meet, you know, making ends meet mm-hmm. based on your your profit from your business, then you're probably not quite ready for us because there's not much that we're going to be able to do to save you um, 
from a tax standpoint right. until you have some extra disposable income that we could put to use and, and do some other strategies with. So. Sounds okay. like a good plan. Yeah. I love it, man. Perfect, perfect. Well, Ignatius, thank you so much yes, for being here. Thank you for being a business associate, and we will yeah. definitely love to see you around the community. Absolutely. And that way some of our members can walk up to you, shake your hand, and yeah. ask a few questions. So um, another episode in the books another one. for the Ezria sure. Show. Woo, woo. Um, you guys know what to do. Get out there, take massive action, and all of the resources that you need are right within your fingertips. So go out there and get them. All right. All right. Thank you. See you guys. Thanks for listening to The Ezria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.